Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. I hope I'm coming in loudly and clearly. Uh, this evening, we're going to be covering Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, and I've got to tell you, uh, I was quite uh, impacted by this week's study. Isaiah 9 is a very, very familiar passage. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then we can get into the message for this evening. Our Heavenly Father, our great God Almighty, we pause to come before your throne to plead with you, Father, to bless us. As we come with uh, pure hearts, wanting to understand your word and conform to your word in the mind of Christ, we ask, Father, that you would give us that help that only you can give, that can only come from the Holy Spirit. And we know that pride, as you've taught us through the observance of unleavened bread, we know that pride is a, a terrible plague of the human heart. And so we pray, Father, that you will help us to overcome our pride and that we can truly be that unleavened bread like Christ. We praise you, Lord. And in this very uh, unstable world, we thank you for the stability that we have from your word. We thank you for this prophet, Yeshayahu. We pray that we can understand him and, and follow his teachings. Thank you, Father. We praise you. We ask this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we begin, brethren, I hope you will uh, allow me to just play uh, a, a little um, song here that I think most of us are very familiar with. I'll just play it for a few seconds here. And I hope I did this right so you can hear it. that uh, you were able to hear that. I'm not sure if I actually looked at the settings properly that I was sharing the sound properly. But that was Handel's Messiah. For unto us a child is born. In fact, the whole album uh, of Handel's Messiah is some inspired, magnificent, incredible piece of music. And I hope all of you are familiar with it. If you're not, uh, please look it up. We usually hear it around Christmas time. And in fact, many live performances of Handel's Messiah are performed around Christmas time. It's sort of the very, very well-known uh, passage in the Old Testament. Most Christians around the world would be familiar with Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And no doubt uh, all of you are very familiar with it. I am very familiar with the passage. I've actually preached this passage at Feast of Tabernacles as we look forward to this coming new government. But what struck me this week as I studied it was the context of Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And then it struck me as well. I've never heard, nor have I ever preached, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 in context. Maybe you can type in the chat if you've ever heard Isaiah verses 9, uh, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. If you've ever heard this in, in context, the, the, the verses that lead up to it and the verses that come out of it, so that we get the whole message of Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. I was, I was really stunned. I was quite taken aback uh, when I read it. So let's get into the, the message for today, uh, Isaiah 9, and uh, let's get the context of this, these, this passage or these two verses so that we can really understand the full meaning behind what Yeshayahu wants us to understand. Now I'm going to begin, as I uh, unpack Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, I'm going to begin, and I did ask for a sound check. Let me just check the messages. Uh, I haven't seen. I'm just going to assume that I'm coming through clearly. Uh, I'm going to begin in Luke, and in an unusual passage. I, I won't have a lot of time to unpack it here, and maybe I'll do this in a future message. But as I was kind of shaken by verses 6 and 7 of chapter 9, uh, this verse came to mind. And I'll read it uh, with you here. As, uh, Luke 24, verse 25. This is after Christ is resurrected. The disciple, his disciples were forlorn, uh, completely despondent and discouraged, and, and had no idea what was going on. 
And now Christ appears to them. And in verse 25 of Luke 24, Then he said unto them, O fools, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then he begins to explain, shouldn't Christ have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And, and he was upbraiding them, like, you guys should know this. All the prophets have spoken of me, you should know this. But what struck me after being struck by in nine, uh, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, and then coming here, was his language. Oh, fools, you imbeciles, you morons. That's what he's saying. It's a very strong word. It's, uh, you know, when you think of the Apostle Paul when he's upbraiding the Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, you imbeciles, you spiritual idiots. That's what he's saying here. You spiritual fools. And you're not just spiritual fools, but you're slow of heart to believe. To believe what? All that the prophets have spoken. All that the prophets have spoken. Not your favorite passages, but you should be students, your disciples. You should be studying all what the prophets have spoken, and you should believe all what the prophets have spoken. And if you had studied all that the prophets had spoken, you would understand that Christ had to suffer these things in order to enter into his glory. And so then he had to unpack it for them. Now, in this story of the Bible, Christ, and he's spoken of by all the prophets, is half the story. What's the other half of the story? The other half of the story is Israel. There's a relationship between Christ and Israel. There's a covenant relationship. And everything that the, co- that the prophets have spoken, all that the prophets have spoken, is in accordance with this special relationship, this special covenant relationship between Christ and Israel. So he had to show them everything concerning Christ. Fast forward 2,000 years later. Christ, well, let's go back 2,000 years ago. Christ was a Jew. His disciples were Jews. His ministry was to the Jews. The early Christians were all Jews. This was an entirely Jewish movement. Fast forward a couple of hundred years. There's not a Jew to be found. The Jews have been expunged from the movement, and it becomes entirely Gentile, and the Hebrew root has been torn up and torn out, and it becomes a Greco-Roman Christian Christian cult. And this is what has spread globally. So they've expunged the Hebraic root from the teachings. The Protestants come out of the Catholics and claim to be sola scriptura, but take many Catholic doctrines with them. And then we have to be careful. We are going back to the Hebrew root, but we have to acknowledge that, you know, we, we're not coming out of the Jewish root. You know, we didn't come out of uh, Jewish culture and then say, well, now we, we're coming out of this Jewish culture, we're going to follow Christ. We came out of Gentile culture and said, we're following Christ. And then we began to examine and say, no, but there's different, what they're teaching in pagan religion, it's not right. We're trying to get back to the proper Hebraic root. But half the story is Christ. The other half the story is Israel. So now 2,000 years later, when the Hebraic root has been torn out and we're trying to get back to it, Christ could say the same thing to us. You know, oh fools, and slow of heart to believe all, everything that the prophets have spoken. And then talk about ought not Israel, ought not Judah to suffer these things before they enter into their glory? Don't you know this? Isn't this the story? The the story of Christ is part of the story. Underneath that story is the story of Judah and the covenant in Israel. And so the two go together. And so Christ enters into his glory. But now if if we believe all that the prophets have spoken, there's a narrative specifically around Judah and Jerusalem that they are to suffer before coming into their glory. And so we should not be people like his early disciples who when all of this unfolds, we're totally confused. We have no idea what's happening or why, because we're slow of heart to believe everything that the prophets have spoken. And, and this, this is what struck me. 
that Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, and the Handel's Messiah, and all the beauty, and how many Christmas cards are, are written about this, that that's just part of what Prophet Yeshayahu spoke. But Christ expects us to believe all that Yeshayahu spoke, and not just him, all the prophets. So we can't be just going to our favorite verses, and expect our expectation is built around our favorite verses, but we ignore everything else that the prophets have spoken. So, so let's now go into this with this mind that Christ expects us to believe all that the prophets have spoken, to understand the whole story, not just our favorite scriptures. So he says here in uh, chapter 8, just pick up a bit of context from last week. Chapter 8, he says that moreover, Yehovah said unto me, take you a great roll and write in it with a man's pen concerning Maher Shalal Hashbaz. So there, this man, and that name means the plunder shall come quickly. The spoil shall come suddenly. Judah will be destroyed suddenly. That's what that name means. And he, so his, his name is actually a prophecy. And then we came to understand um, that Ahaz, King Ahaz, rather than look to Yehovah for his salvation, for his protection, he said, nah, no thanks. And instead he looked to the mighty, powerful, global power of Assyria. And he wanted to be in league with Assyria in order to protect him from his own brother, Manasseh, and, and Ephraim in the north. Uh, Ephraim and, and the tribes of the north coming to attack, uh, Ephraim siding with I'm sorry, so Ephraim, I should say Manasseh, uh, Ephraim siding with um, Syria uh, in order to destroy Judah. So when he saw that threat, that very serious threat, he decided he would go to the king of Assyria for protection. So all of that was unpacked last week. And then in verse 17, Yeshayahu says, I will wait upon Yehovah. I, you know what? I, I understand what's happening. I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to wait upon the Lord that hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. So, Yeshayahu understood that God, there's a plan here. And in this part, in this phase of the plan, God has withdrawn himself from Jacob, and is hiding himself from Jacob. But Isaiah understood. And then he says, Behold, I and the children whom Yehovah has given me are for signs, and for wonders in Israel from Yehovah Zavuot, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, which dwells in Mount Zion. So the children that he had given, and one of his uh, children was uh, Yeshov, I've got his, his exact, Shir uh, Yeshov, which, which means a, a remnant will remain. So Shir Yeshov was one child, Maher Shalal, Hashbaz was the other, but in there he also talked about Emmanuel as a child. That would be a sign and a wonder. And my speculation is that Isaiah had these two children, and Emmanuel was a child that would be born in King Ahaz's time and would be a sign to him. And at the same time it was dual, it was also looking forward to the Messiah's birth. So I think Maher Shalal Hashbaz was also Emmanuel. That these are two names for the same individual. And these two children of Isaiah were to be signs and wonders to the people. So it's all about these children. There's all these mighty kings and these powerful battles and this quest for incredible power and expansion. And in the midst of all of this, there's these children that actually are deciding the fate of the nation. So now, with all of that, we come to the end of chapter 8, which was verse 22. And they shall look unto the earth, and behold, trouble and darkness. So Isaiah is going to wait for Jehovah, but as far as Judah goes and Israel, trouble and darkness. Dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. So that's how we ended last week. Israel and Judah will be in terrible trouble. You know, this is Maher Shalal Hashbaz. It's going to come quickly. It's going to be destroyed. They're going to be broken. They'll be in dimness of anguish, and they'll be driven to darkness. That's chapter 8. Now we come into chapter 9, 
And he says, nevertheless, even though that's a reality and it's a very stark and very painful reality, nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali. I'm just going to switch here. Uh, this is a per- I, I love the King James for accuracy. I prefer it over all the other English versions. But uh, just for clarity, let me uh, read from the complete Jewish Bible. He says um, here, nevertheless, he says, but there will be no more gloom for those who are now in anguish. So, so even though they are going to go into this terrible darkness, with this great tragedy, it's not the end. And this is the pattern we constantly see through the prophets. Great destruction on these covenant people, but it's not the end. The story doesn't end there. But there will be no more gloom for those who are now in anguish. In the past, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali were regarded lightly. But in the future, he will honor the way to the lake beyond the, 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 Jordan, the Jordan. Galilee of the Goyim. Galilee of the Gentiles. So, so even though they have to go through this dishonor, ultimately their future is that they will be honored. And they will be honored um, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the, of, the, of the Gentiles. So even though it's these Gentiles that are coming in through Galilee to destroy them, these same covenant people will be honored in that very same place. Uh, chapter 9, verse 2 in the Hebrew Bible, this is chapter 9, verse 1. The people living in darkness, we just met them in chapter 8, these same people from the north, the people, the Ephraimites, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. So the, the darkness wasn't the end of the story. Yes, they're going to suffer, but they're going to be brought into their glory. Why do we ignore these passages? You don't, you don't hear Christians talking about these passages. In fact, you hear Jews laughing at us. Jews don't ta- Rabbis don't take us seriously. They mock us and they laugh at us. We have some distorted pagan version of Christianity because they have the Jewish Bible. They, ha- they are the people of the scriptures and they know their scriptures. And these rabbis teach all that the prophets, well, I shouldn't, sorry, I shouldn't say that. They skip scriptures too. I, when I gave my sermon, uh, Grapes of Wrath, and I spent a lot of time talking about Isaiah 53, I didn't know at the time that that's a forbidden chapter in Judaism. They do not read from that chapter at all. So they do not believe all that the prophets have spoken. But then we skip over scriptures as well. We go straight to 9 verse 6. Instead of going to 9 verse 1 or even chapter 8 and giving the full context of verse 6. So we need to be preaching all that the prophets have spoken. And the Jews know when they, when these rabbis, when they're studying their scriptures, they know they are going to be brought into glory. They know that glory is promised to them. They just don't believe in Christ. And they don't want anything to do with Christ. And they want to skip or reinterpret scriptures that point to Christ. But they know their destiny is to be people of glory. And they never hear this from Christians. They never hear Christian uh, ministry or, or evangelists quoting these prophetic words. We skip this. And we go to 9 verse 6 as if it's a Gentile prophecy. Oh, joy to the world. The Lord has come. The Messiah to the nations. And the rabbis know that's false. And they understand these passages that lead up to it. And so should we. These same people who were destined for darkness and destruction, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. There's been a turnaround. Upon those living in the land that lies in the shadow of death, light has dawned. And Christ, in his first appearance, fulfilled this very passage. His second appearance is going to completely fulfill it. But his first appearance fulfills this. We have to be reading these passages and teaching these passages. And this is part of the gospel. We need to be preaching these gospels so that Judah hears it. And here's a message that they recognize. It's like we've never heard ministers preach these, these passages. That, that's right. They, they understand. Instead of mocking us and laughing at us and patting us on the head and thinking we're cute because we've got some kind of funky version of, of their Bible. 
instead of handling the Bible and believing all that the prophets have spoken. He says, here in Matthew 4, and let me go back to uh, King James here, Matthew 4 and verse 12, Now when Yeshua had heard that John was cast into prison, so that's the end of John's ministry, he's cast into prison, he's going to be killed. When this news comes to Yeshua, he departed into Galilee. That that was his, his priority. Okay, I'm going into Galilee. But why would he do that? And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast. Oh, that's interesting. He goes to the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Yeshayahu, the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. In the very place where the Gentiles came in and destroyed these people and plunged them into darkness, in that very place, they get to see a great light. The people which sat in darkness, this is it. This is what Isaiah the prophet spoke. The people that sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. It's amazing how things change with time. So here we see the very people that were destined for destruction. A great light has shone upon them. And then from that time, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it all begins exactly as Isaiah had prophesied. And Christ, believing all that the prophets have spoken and ensuring that everything that the prophets spoke, as he inspired them, was fulfilled to the T. And we should be very, very sensitive to all that the prophets have spoken. Back to Isaiah 9. And Isaiah 9 and verse 3. Back to Isaiah 9 and verse 3. He says, You have multiplied the nation. I'm going to read this, sorry, from the, um, just for ease of translation and understanding. I'll read from the complete Jewish Bible. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. These are the very same people that were plunged into darkness, that were being destroyed, that were destined for death. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice in your presence, as if rejoicing at harvest time, the way men rejoice when dividing up the spoil. And what what the rabbis and the Jews don't understand is the first appearance of Christ. They just don't get it. They look at these prophecies and they expect the Messiah to come and vanquish their enemies and establish them, but they don't understand how corrupt they are. How, how, how sinful the human nature, the human condition is, and how the humble servant, the suffering servant, had to come first. So he absolutely appeared exactly as the prophet intended in order to set up their redemption and to fulfill the demands and dictates of Torah so that the covenant conditions could be fulfilled. And then in his second appearance, all of this will be fulfilled. And we should not be confused by Christ's second appearance. We should not be like his disciples, so that when he comes to save Judah, when he comes to glorify Judah, we're totally confused. We're like, we don't understand. We had no idea this was going to happen. And then he has to turn to us and say, you spiritual fools and slow of heart to believe everything that the prophets have spoken. So we should be studying the prophets as good students, rightly dividing the word of truth, so that when he appears, we are in lockstep with him. We know exactly what has to happen next. And before his appearance, we are preparing and looking to him, as I have said, I will wait upon him. It doesn't just mean that we're waiting, like just putting our feet up and doing nothing. It means we're preparing, and we know what we should be doing at this phase in the plan, so that when he does appear, we're in lockstep with him. Yehovah Zavuot, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. And when those armies appear, we join in with the armies and we're not like, okay, well, what are we, what's the plan? What are we doing? We're confused. We, we thought it was all about us. No, we understand. And we're right in lockstep with Yehovah Zavuot, the Lord of hosts. So he's going to enlarge the nation and increase their joy. 
And they're going to rejoice in his presence as if rejoicing at harvest time. In fact, it will be harvest time. It'll be the time of their harvest. And they'll be rejoicing like you've never seen. Incredible joy in, in the streets of Jerusalem after the darkness. Uh, like they will, the way men rejoice when they divide up the spoil. You can imagine there's a great harvest and they're just so joyful having waited so long for the harvest. Verse 4 in the English Bible, verse 3 in the Hebrew Bible. For the yoke that weighted them down, or that weighed them down, the burden, the bar across their shoulders. Remember, they were enslaved and taken captive. This is the curse of the covenant. The curse of the covenant that weighed them down. And their driver's gold. So these they're, they're slave drivers. You have broken as on the day of Midian's defeat. Wow. These people, because of their, their disobedience to God, and this is speaking specifically now of, of Israel, the north, but it's also Israel and Judah. He's coming to save them. He's coming to glorify them. And he's coming to save them the way he broke the uh, oppression of Midian. So we need to go back to Judges. We, we, did, we did Judges together, and this is the whole Gideon's army. We did that together. But let's just remember the context of that great salvation through Gideon. In Judges 6 and verse 1, I'll read from the King James. And the children of Israel, this is when Midian oppressed them, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of Jehovah. And Jehovah delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. So God used the Gentiles to destroy his people because of their wickedness. The same way he brought in Assyria to destroy his people because of their wickedness. The parallel is exact. It's the same people, it's the same wickedness, and God uses the Gentiles to destroy them. And then these same people that are destroyed by the Gentiles as they come in through Galilee, these same people are going to see a great light and they're going to receive the salvation similar to the salvation in the time of Midian. He says, And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, Judges 6, verse 2. The hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because the Midianites, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. We studied all of that when we did Judges 6, but they had to just do all these workarounds and they just couldn't function because of the great oppression of the Midianites. And then in verse 6 of Judges 6, And Israel was greatly impoverished. They were greatly oppressed and impoverished because of the Midianites, which God sent. The Midianites were the hand of God upon Israel. They were greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto Jehovah. And then God saved them. Through Gideon, who, and remember we studied that, he wasn't the choicest pick of the litter as far as spiritual um, uh, faithfulness goes. God had to work with him, work with them, work with them, because God was determined to save his people. And he was going to use Gideon to save his people, despite their wickedness, because these are the people of his covenant. And so in the same way now, when we come to Isaiah 9, these same wicked people of the covenant... God is using the Gentiles to oppress, impoverish, and destroy them. And in the same way that he saved them from Midian, despite their wickedness, he saved, he's going to save them again, despite their wickedness. Because he is in covenant love with them. Now, we come to Isaiah 9, verse 5. Again, I'll read from the um, Jewish Bible, just for clarity. But it begins with the word for, ki in Hebrew, which we could basically translate because. It's an explanation. This is why. So ki, this is why. Because. So this is very important because in Isaiah 9, Isaiah 9 is a, is a chapter of, it's an explanatory chapter. It has incredible explanatory power for us to understand what is going on. The explanations are here in chapter 9. So we're going to see a lot of key, 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 as God is explaining to us, or Yeshe Ayahu is explaining to us, why things are this way. So whenever we see four, it's an explanation. Because all the boots of soldiers marching and every cloak rolled in blood is destined for burning, 
fuel for the fire. And, and my wife and I just watched a wonderful movie called The Pianist on, on Netflix. I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, it's just a movie about this Polish uh, pianist, incredible, incredibly talented pianist, uh, in the midst of Nazi, the Nazi takeover. And uh, just how, how his story unfolds and incredible miracles to help him. But these Nazi oppressors, at the very end, they're all captured by the Allies. I think, sorry, by the Russians. And they're rounded up. And you see these people who are incredible power, totally humiliated. And this is what's going on. So we're getting an explanation as to how is it that the people that dwelt in such darkness are going to enjoy such rejoicing and such light? Well, because... All the boots of soldiers marching and every cloak rolled in blood. So these are very powerful people and just destroying everything. Don't worry. The reason that everybody can, these Israelites will be able to rejoice and be in light and glory is because all of these powerful oppressors are destined for burning. They're, they're fuel for the fire. God was just using them to drive his people to repentance, but then he's going to destroy them. Now we come to Isaiah 9, verse 6. So we've got, we've got the full context now from chapter 1. This, 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 this is the vision that came to Yeshayahu concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of these kings. So it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a, a political situation. And then we see all of these prophecies of, of unfaithfulness of Judah and Jerusalem in the, in the midst of this political uh, context. And now we see... The, the, the nation being oppressed and destroyed by their own brothers in the north. Ephraim, the same covenant people who came into the promised land together and were to enjoy the promised land together, now they're at war with each other. And they're siding with uh, Gentiles, siding with Gentiles to go at war with each other and destroy each other. That's what it's come to. And yet, the glory that has been promised through the covenant will not be, God will not forget. And he will bring it about. And so this is, again, part of the explanation so, so why will they enjoy such a great uh, harvest joy? And, and why will they sit in light when they were destined to death and darkness? Well, because their oppressors are, are, are like fuel for the fire. They're, they're all those marching armies, they're all going to be destroyed. Well, why will that happen? Well, because, key. So chapter 9, verse, uh, chapter nine, verse 6 is part of the explanation of how the people that sat in darkness are going to enjoy this great light. Because, Judah says, for unto us, Yeshayahu is a Jew. He's talking to Jews. And he's saying, don't worry, everything's going to be sorted. Why? Because unto us a child is born. And we just went into chapter 8, where he had these two children, Sher Yeshuv and Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. And and then there's another child called Emmanuel, which I think is Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Uh, it's all about these children in the midst of these great political exploits going on and incredible military power. And then there's these children that are truly determining the fate of the nation. And in the midst of all of this conflict, the reason we know it's all going to end well is because unto us Jews, unto Judah, a child is born. And unto us Jews... A son has been given. And so I think this is talking of one of Isaiah's children that was literally born so that King Ahaz could see it. And this was a sign to him. But it's also dual. It's also obviously pointing ahead uh, some 740 years in the future to the birth of Christ. And now we know absolutely, even if they were thinking it's about Emmanuel of the day, now they will know absolutely this Emmanuel, this God with us, although the child of the day may have been a sign, truly God is going to be with us. And this is why, this is the explanation as to why everything's going to be okay in the end. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. So the prophecy opens with these kings, Isaiah's uh, prophesying in the time of these, these kings. And uh, we're now up to the time of King Ahaz. And, and it's like, wow, all of this kingship, which actually is causing Israel Israel and Judah, but specifically it's about Judah, causing them to fail, just bad decisions, 
what what a tragic decision to, to team up with Assyria uh, in, in, in fighting your own brothers to the north. This child, the government will be upon his shoulder. This this is why everything's going to be different. The government will actually come to his shoulder. And now we're going to come to his name. And his name shall be called, and I'm going to read here, uh, I'm going to read from the complete Jewish Bible, because there's a comma here in the English, which is incorrect. And I can't help it when I think of uh, Handel's Messiah, the way that Handel composed it, probably working from the King James. He pauses after his name shall be called, Wonderful. And then there's a pause. Counselor. And then there's a pause. The Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Yet, when we look in the Hebrew, I'll just show the Hebrew here. When we look in the Hebrew, you're going to see here there's no punctuation. This decision to uh, put a comma after wonderful, is it's arbitrary. It is completely the translators deciding that they would use wonderful uh, as by itself and counselor by itself. But there's actually four names here. And each of the four names is a compound name. It's two nouns put together. Noun, 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 noun. The only exception, actually, is, is the mighty God, El Gibor. El Gibor. El is God, which is a noun. Gibor means mighty, and it's an adjective. So you see how they get mighty God. But in Hebrew, if we actually look at Second uh, Samuel 17 and verse 10, when talking about uh, David, and he says here that, uh, give me some counsel, for all Israel knows that your father, talking to Absalom, your father is a mighty man, is a gibor, he's a mighty gibor. So gibor is something that's actually used like a noun in Hebrew. You'll see, you'll see that uh, gibor is, it, it can be an adjective or a noun. So they'll say he's a mighty man, a, a mighty Gabor, or you just say he's a Gabor, and you use it like a noun. So here, as we're looking at um, Isaiah 9 and verse 6, Wonderful Counselor, Pele Yoetz, El Gibor, Aviad, Sar Shalom. Noun, 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 noun. So it's like the noun modifies the other noun, and it's four names. The first one is Wonderful Counselor. So you see King Ahaz and taking counsel with uh, uh, Uzziah, the, uh, the uh, high priest, and, and others. All kings always have counselors. And coming up with disastrous decisions, tragic decisions. Well, when, when this child comes and takes office, not only is he going to be, the, the government is going to be, and they don't call him king, but obviously he is the king. Uh, it's, it's the kingdom that he's setting up. Uh, he's not only going to be the great king, he's going to be a wonderful, a miraculous counselor. That, that, that the people of Judah are going to be set up in nations from all over the world. And we should be preaching this. And that way the Jews would know. We actually know the scriptures. We believe all that the prophets have spoken. People from all over the world are going to be coming to the Jews and to the other tribes of Israel to learn Torah. And they're going to be coming with very complex situations that they have to work out because it's going to be a disaster that they're having to rebuild and very complicated situations. And Christ and his team, us, are going to be able to give miraculous counsel as to how to sort out these terrible problems. So he's going to be a miraculous... When, when he speaks his counsel, everyone's just going to be in awe. Wow. Where did this wisdom come from? Clearly it's divine wisdom. He's going to be a wonderful counselor he will be El Gibor, the mighty God on earth, in Mount Zion. No doubt everybody will understand this. Aviad, he's going to be called the, ever, the, the father that's everlasting. So Christ is coming to marry Israel. And when there's a marriage, there's a union, there are going to be children. So Christ is going to become a father the, the everlasting father. This is what God the Father had in mind from the beginning. Looking for a bride for his son so that they can have children. And so there, he is going to be this everlasting father. Sar Shalom. The, the, the prince, that, the, the chief of, pre, of, of peace. In all this conflict and all this blood and tragedy and enslavement, 
That's, that's the best that human kings can bring. This king, is not only is he a great king, he's the prince of peace. He's going to bring this eternal peace to the earth. This is why the people who sat in darkness will see a great light. This is why the people who are destined for death are going to be rejoicing as in the way men rejoice at a wonderful harvest because of this arrival of this child in the midst of this power struggle. He goes on then, of the increase, uh, I'll read this in the um, Jewish Bible, in order to extend the dominion, so all of this is going to happen, in order to extend the dominion and perpetuate the peace of the throne and kingdom of David. So he's coming to sit on the, the throne of David, and this is going to be perpetuated forever. To secure it and to sustain it through justice and righteousness henceforth. This is the justice, brethren, that we care about. We don't want this evil justice. You shall know them by their fruit. What good fruit has the, this, this, this social justice movement brought? Only evil. Every society that pursues the social justice of man degrades. People's lives are lost. People are destroyed. There is no good fruit. I'm pleading with you, brethren, break away from this social justice nonsense and let us pursue this justice, the justice of God. He says, to secure it and sustain it through justice, God's justice and righteousness. He's going to be a wonderful counselor and he's going to imply this type of justice. Henceforth and forever. Now listen, brethren, listen to this. The zeal, and notice the, the Jews here say Adonai, it's not Adonai. The zeal of Yehovah, Zavuot, will accomplish this. This is God's zeal. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 is an explanation of Isaiah 9, 1, or Isaiah, yeah, Isaiah 9, 1. How is it that these people that were destined for destruction, how is it that they're rejoicing and they've seen a great light? Well, it's because their oppressors are destined for the furnace. Their, their, their oppressors will be thrown off. Well, how will that be? Well, because there's a child that's been born to Judah. And this child is going to sit on the throne of David, and he's just going to have magnificent qualities, and he's going to be the true king of Judah and Israel. And peace is going to be extended to the whole world, the whole universe, forever because of the arrival of this child. It's explanatory text. Now, the zeal of the Lord is about, so I always just thought it was just about um, the child sitting on the throne. No, the child is sitting on the throne in order to bring his covenant people out of the depth of darkness, despair, and death into great glory. And it is the zeal of the Lord that wants to accomplish this. And if we are believing all that the prophets have spoken, number one, we'll understand all that the prophets have spoken. Number two, we will believe all that the prophets have spoken. And number three, we will share in the zeal of the Lord. So the redemption of his people and the establishment of his covenant people in the earth, this is the zeal of the Lord. And it should be our zeal as well. How is it that we believe in this replacement theology where we just believe God has kicked his... God, God is a liar. He doesn't believe in his own word. He speaks and then he changes his mind. I kind of always laugh when I think of my brother Jan um, in his sermon when he said, you know, did God give a, a promise and then say, oh, I was tired. I didn't know what I was saying. No, when God speaks, that's it. It's impossible for God to lie. And it is, it's, 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 it's his zeal to bring his word to pass and to bring these covenant people into glory. And ought not these people first to have to suffer before they're brought into their glory? And ought not we to believe all that the prophets have spoken? So the zeal of Yehovah, Zavuot, the, the, he's the Lord of armies. He's coming with powerful armies to put this, to redeem his people and put all of this in place. He goes on now. The Lord sent a word into Jacob, and it has lighted upon Israel. And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, that say in the pride and stoutness, so all the people are going to know. He's not just coming to save Judah. 
He's coming to save Israel as well. And these Ephraimites, as evil as they are, as evil as Judah is, as evil as they were back in the day of Midian, God is coming to save them, miraculously. And why? Because they're his people. And because he has promises outstanding that he will fulfill. So he says, And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, that say in the pride and stoutness of heart. This is what they say in their pride and stoutness. Now, we are we just came out of the days of unleavened bread. And uh, of all people, we should understand. We should understand of all people the plague of pride. All of us have it. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe I'm offending some people today, right now. As I'm saying, the zeal of the Lord is about redeeming his physical people and bringing them into glory. And then, well, what about me? What about us? Yeah, we have a part in all of this. But first we have to believe all that the prophets have spoken before we fully understand our part in it. And, and many of us, I think, we just believe that you know God just wants to save us, and that's that. And he's forgotten about everybody else. We have to be careful about pride. And we have to have uh, unleavened bread. Now, he says here that when, when we look at the scripture, the text, he says the bricks, so he says that saying this, the, the pride and stoutness of their heart, what do they say? The bricks have fallen, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. So they just believe, in other words, yeah, God has caused us to have uh, destruction. No problem. We'll rebuild. What does uh, Isaiah says? Uh, God says they actually say this in the um, pride of their heart. And doesn't that sound, this whole we will rebuild, doesn't that sound familiar with this new world order? He says, um, the great, this is the great reset. We will build back better. This is a global, although it's, yes, it's the U.S. Um, administration's uh, slogan. They didn't make it up. They got it from the, the, the World Trade Organization. The great reset. Build back better. Build what back better? And, and they think that they can keep doing this. Well, we'll just build back better. Uh, no, you won't. No, you won't. God has destined your work for destruction. And so here Ephraim has the same attitude. That, you know what? Uh, yeah, in the pride and stoutness of their heart, they're not acknowledging that God has set them back. The bricks are fallen down, but we will build them with hewn. We'll build back better. We'll build them with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. You know what? We'll just build back better. <laughs> so amazing. What's old is new again. You know what? It's all torn down. We'll just build back better. Yeah, no, you won't. He says... Um, Therefore, Yehovah shall set up. So you think you're going to build back better? No. Therefore, Yehovah shall set up the adversaries of Retzin against him. This is against Ephraim. And join his enemies together. The Syrians before and the Philistines behind. America, warning, warning, warning. You want to build back better? You want to ally yourself with globalists? God is going to use these globalists to destroy you. They're going to turn their back on you. And you're going to be um, humiliated publicly. This is what happened to Ephraim anciently. This is what will happen today. So Ephraim thought that they could build back better. And, and then God says, you know what? I'm going to use your enemies against you. I will set, and this is again like Midian. God used the Midianites to destroy the people. I, he shall set up the adversaries of Retzin against him and join his enemies together. The Syrians before and the Philistines behind. And they shall devour Israel with open mouth. They're just, they're just going to have their way. Now we come to another key. Key. This is explanatory. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Now, let's actually read this in the um, Jewish Bible. <clears throat> he says, even after all this, his anger remains, his, upra- his upraised hand still threatens. So that's how the Jewish Bible translates the Hebrew. That what, what the English says, for all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Um, the Hebrew, or sorry, the complete Jewish Bible, 
For after, even after all this, his anger remains, his, upright, his upraised hand still threatens. I don't like this translation. I think the, the King James is a better translation. In the, so if you just read the Hebrew word for word, yeah, it can go either way. But if we read it in the context of everything we've read from chapter 1, especially here in chapters 8 and 9, and the promise to destroy these people and plunge them into darkness and yet redeem them the way he redeemed them in the time of Midian. I I like the King James. For all this, his anger is not turned away. So these people are corrupt, wicked people. They keep provoking him. His anger is not turned away. But his hand is stretched out still. I like that. Because it's, it's this contrast of this, these evil people who are in covenant and God being bound by covenant to them. So even though they're evil and they're wicked and they have to be punished, his hand is stretched out still. Why? Because they're his covenant people. And I'm going to refer to now Isaiah 50. We, when we did a second Isaiah, we covered this already. But Isaiah 50 and 59, to, to plead my case. He says here in Isaiah 50, Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? So whether the hand is stretched out or the hand is shortened, it's to do with redemption. So is my hand shortened that I can't reach you and I can't redeem you? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinks because there is no water and dies for thirst. So this is the power that I have. I can save miraculously. My hand is not shortened. And then in chapter 59, he says, Behold, Jehovah's hand, the Yad, this is the same Yad that's spoken of, my hand is not shortened. In other words, it's still stretched out. My hand is not shortened that it cannot save. It's stretched out so that it can save. Neither is this here, here heavy that it cannot hear. So this is why I'm going to say I, I prefer the English, uh, the King James Version. Because of all this, his anger is not turned away. Yet, his hand is not shortened. That's what Isaiah tells us, his hand is not shortened. He tells us he's going to save them miraculously as in the day of Midian. So these same people, the the, the hand, the anger is not turned away. So they're going to go into darkness. They're going to go into destruction. They're going into death. And while all of that is happening, his hand is still stretched out. He is going to redeem them. He will miraculously save them. And so this is the first time, he's going to say this three times in the same chapter. So because of all this, his hand is not, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is still stretched out. Verse 13, four, again, key, explanatory. For the people turned, this is why his anger cannot be abated. Because the people turned not unto him that smites them. He's smiting them, he's trying to drive them to repentance, but they won't turn to him. They're stubborn. For the people turn not unto him that smites them, neither do they seek Yehovah Zavot. They they, he's the Lord of hosts, he's the Lord of armies, he's, he wants to redeem them, but they won't seek him. It's just like King Ahaz. Isaiah says to him, tell me what sign do you want? The same way they went to Gideon. What sign would you like to back you up to let you know that I'm, I'm with you? He went to King Ahaz and said, tell me what sign you'd like, anything. From the depth of the sea to the height of the heaven. You just say, just name it and we'll do it. So you know that I will not uh, abandon my people. Uh, no thanks, I think I'll go to the king of Assyria. So they do not seek the Lord of hosts, the same one that can save them. Therefore, Jehovah will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rush in one day. They're destined for destruction. Head and tail. The ancient and honorable he is the head. So they have leaders. These are the head. And the prophet that teaches lies, he's the tail. We never want to be prophets that teach lies. We want to make sure we're studying all that the prophets have spoken and we're teaching exactly what the prophets taught and not making things up. So the leaders and the prophets that are reinforcing all of this, that's head and tail, they're going to be destroyed in one day. Four, another four. This whole chapter is explanatory. If we read chapter nine carefully, we understand. All the explanation we need is here. It's an explanatory chapter. And that's what this, for unto us a child is born, it's just part of the explanatory text. For, 
the leaders of this people caused them to err. We saw that back in Isaiah chapter 3. Your leaders are causing you to err. Our leaders today are causing us to err. People are doing things because the leaders are telling them to do it. And the media is backing them up. The lying media is backing them up. You know, uh, when uh, the previous administration, the previous president, anytime you hold a press conference, it was adversarial. They were at his throat. This new president is so peaceful. If he holds his press conference and the media is just, oh, you're so adorable. We love you. And all the migrants, uh, they're all coming to your nation and, and they're surging the border because you're such a beautiful man. You're so moral and you're so honest. And we, the media, it's our job to keep you honest, but because you're so honest, we don't have to do our job. And meanwhile, children are being raped by the tens of thousands. But at least we don't have to wake up to Donald Trump's tweets. So we can go to sleep and sleep peacefully. Who cares that tens of thousands of babies are being raped every day? And children and women are being enslaved. And even in, in, in their coming up to the border, they're being trafficked. And they're, they're just disappearing into a life of slavery. At least the media and the president are getting along. And we don't have to wake up to Donald Trump's tweets. It's wonderful now. The leaders of this people cause them to err. And they that are led of them are destroyed. I'm sorry. I'm, I guess I'm sorry for America, but I'm even more sorry for Canada. I'm sorry for the whole Western civilization. I'm sorry for the whole world until Christ returns. And I'm sorry for any of us who are trying to fight for social justice in this wicked world. What, what a travesty. We, we will wait for him. We'll, like Yeshayahu, we'll wait upon the Lord because he's the one that's bringing true righteousness and justice. The leaders of this people cause them to err. They, they deliberately push them into error. And they that are led of them are destroyed. Therefore, Adonai shall have no joy in their young man. God, we, we should be joyful that young people are growing up and getting married and building families and that God should have great joy in this. No, you'll have no joy. And then again, if you watch this, I would highly recommend this movie, The Pianist. You see this young Jewish family and these young men and they're full of so much promise. And these people suffer. These people of Judah and this is all just a dress rehearsal for the suffering that is coming that is unprecedented. God has no joy in their young men. Neither shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer. And these rabbis, I, I, I hope they mean well, but they hate Jesus Christ. You hear it in their voices, this, this attitude of, of pure hatred when the name of Christ comes up. They, they, are, they are annoyed by him. And they despise him. And yet they dress in wonderful robes and, and they're so righteous. And God says, God is going to clean up. They're his people. And he's going to glorify them. But they have to go through the washing machine first. And it's going to be very painful. He says, <clears throat> he will not have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer. And every mouth speaks folly. For all this, again, a second time he's going to say it now, because of all of this, this is why his anger is not turned away. This is why we must have the tribulation. This is why we must have the abomination that makes desolate. This, this is why there must be incredible pain and destruction. Because, because of all of this, his anger is not turned away. However, he's still going to save these people. His hand is stretched out still. His yad, his hand. His redemption is still there for these people. He has not abandoned them. Because unto them, a child is born. This child is the, this is the, everything gonna, is going to turn because of the presence of this child. Again, another four. This is an explanatory chapter. Because wickedness burns as the fire. It shall devour the briars and thorns. And this is an earlier prophecy when he says, uh, I think it was chapter 5, then this vineyard is just going to become briars and thorns. That's how God sees Judah, briars and thorns. For wickedness burns as the fire. It shall devour the briars and thorns and shall kindle in the thickets of the forest. And they shall mount up like the lifting up of smoke. And remember the name, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. It's coming suddenly. Suddenly. You know, 
the way the world is going right now, it's changing. It's ch- every minute of every day, every minute of every hour, and every hour of every day, and every day of every week, and every week of every year, and every year of every decade, the world is changing rapidly. As I'm talking to you now, when we go to bed and wake up tomorrow morning, the whole world is just changing. Meher shalal hashbaz. It's going to come suddenly. We're just, it's just going to strike us suddenly. We have no idea how it came. But it's been coming slowly, slowly, and then all at once. And I, I, we pray for Judah, that they will repent, that they will turn their hearts to God, that Jerusalem will look with great expectation for their Messiah. But also we pray that we can come to understand all that the prophets have spoken so that we can preach the gospel accurately and we can be a part of their turning to God. And not just Judah, but all Israel, Ephraim as well. And Ephraim is code for all Israel. All the northern tribes, actually, when you look at the prophecies, they come under Ephraim. He says now, through the wrath of the, through the wrath of Jehovah Zavuot, remember this is a powerful God of armies. He's a man of war. Through the wrath of Jehovah Zavuot is the land darkened, the land of Judah. And, and the, all this area, the promised land, it's darkened. But remember, the people that sat in darkness will see a great light. So it's all connected. The, the land is going to be darkened. That's the first part of the story. It's not the end of the story because his anger is there, but his hand is stretched out still. So the anger is the darkness. The hand stretched out is the light that's going to come upon these people. Isaiah 60. Through the wrath of Jehovah of Zavuot is the land darkened. And the people shall be as the fuel of the fire. No man shall spare his brother. And again, I refer to the, this movie, The Pianist, really well done. Uh, when you're in these dire straits, people just don't care about each other anymore. And Christ tells us, even in the spiritual Jewish community, brother shall betray brother. And he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry. So he's going to take from his brother, but it's not going to satisfy And they shall eat on the left hand, and they shall not be satisfied. They shall eat every man the flesh of his own arm. This is how dire it's coming. It's terrible. It happened back then? Partially. Partially. Christ said that he came to fill everything to the full. And so this tribulation that's coming is the ultimate. This is when suffering will be to the full. God is going to unleash his wrath completely and entirely upon these people. And yet, his hand is stretched out still. Because the whole purpose of the wrath is not to destroy them, but to drive them to repentance. Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 to 6. Manasseh, Ephraim, Ephraim, Manasseh, and they together shall be against Judah. This is, this is what the tribes that have come into the promised land have come to. They're, 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 they're brethren, but they're against, the, they're against each other. For all this, again, third time, this is the reason why. All of this, this is why his anger is not turned away. And when we see the destruction that's coming, and think of Matthew 23, the curses that God, you know, woe unto you, these curses that Christ put upon these people. And then we go into Matthew 24 to see how the curses unfold. Uh, and the abomination that makes desolate. This is why he's so angry. And and so ultimately Ephraim and Manasseh are going to be rolled together. And Ezekiel will speak, just speak of them as Ephraim and Judah. And his anger is against these people. But the chapter ends, but his hand is stretched out still. And again, I, I reject the translation here of the Jewish Bible. That says his upraised hand is still threatened. I, I don't think that's the meaning at all. I think the meaning is captured correctly by the King James. That there's two sides to the story here. The people that sat in darkness because of his great anger. They have seen a great light because his hand is stretched out still. But what a powerful, powerful uh, chapter. I hope you got as much out of it as I did. I was just really, um, how should I say? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I was, uh, was going to say disturbed, uh, shaken. It's <laughs> a simpler word. I was just shaken when I read this chapter. I just said, I've never seen this before. 
and I've been in the church for some 35 years, and I've just never understood Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 the way I'm beginning to understand it now. And we have to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So Jesus Christ, Yeshua, Hamasiah, the great Messiah that we're looking forward to, that the Jews are looking forward. They don't. They, they, they know the Messiah is coming. They just reject Christ. And they laugh at Christians. Because they understand prophecies that we don't touch. And I, I have to say, I, I, I agree. I, I've been in the church how long? And we don't touch Isaiah 9, 1 to 22, except for verses 6 and 7. And we have to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So let's keep studying the word of God together, brethren. And let's get more and more precise and more and more accurate as we preach this great word of God. Jesus Christ is King, wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. God bless, brethren.